may be around the world and thank you for joining us once again on truth2u.org. That's truth2letteru.org. Joining me is the Director of Education and Counseling for Jews for Judaism in Canada. The website is jewsforjudaism.ca. That's jewsforjudaism.ca. Welcome back to the program, Rabbi Michael Skobach. Shalom, Jano. How are you doing? Doing well. Thank you, my friend. Wonderful to have you back on the program. We are, of course... Continuing to investigate the alleged 365 messianic prophecies in the Tanakh that Jesus supposedly fulfilled in the New Testament. And I have good news once again on the uh, uh, the list of 365. We're kicking off from number 212. But we are using the uh, the new revised standard version supplied by Carmen at the refinersfire.org. Thank you for that, Carmen. She did put the list through the Refiners Fire, came out with 302. And uh, on that list... We're up to 157, which means we're past the halfway mark on that list as well. Hey, that's great. That's good. Now, we are, we're, we're starting off uh, today, as I said, at 157, which is Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 12. And it does say, Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. The corresponding verse in the New Testament. There's a couple. John chapter 1 verse 30 it says this is he of whom after me comes a man who is preferred before me for he was before me alrighty and Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end says the Lord who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty and oh I've got another one in Revelation chapter 1 verse 17 and when I saw him I fell at his feet as dead but he laid his hand his right hand on me saying to me do not be afraid I am the first and the last the messianic prophecy fulfilled according to the list is the first and the last Michael okay so this has actually been something that has repeatedly come up in these chapters that we're studying in Yeshayahu Isaiah, which is that the, the, the passage in the prophets, prophet here is very obviously and clearly speaking about the Almighty, the Creator. Um, we see in the very next verse, in verse 13, uh, it says, My right hand was spreading out the heavens, my hand was establishing the earth. So it's clearly speaking about not... Uh, any created human being. It's not speaking about the Messiah here. This is speaking about the Almighty, God himself. And uh, it's not obviously a messianic prophecy. Um, What I was a bit puzzled by was the reference in John chapter 1, because you really have there a statement by John the baptizer, um, who, what does he say? He says, um, this is he, so I guess John the baptizer is referring to Jesus. This mm-hmm. is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Um, so I'm not quite sure how that statement by John the baptizer would prove or even indicate that Jesus was the first and the last. Um, he just seems to be saying that he's someone who came before himself. Mm. Um, and then the other statements in Revelation, uh, I mean, it's hard to, to understand why this is considered to be a fulfillment or a proof, because all you really have is Jesus saying about himself, allegedly, I am the first and I am the last. Um, it's sort of a very easy prophecy to fulfill just by saying it. Um, the real question, I suppose, the, 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 where the rubber hits the road is, uh, number one, what evidence... What real evidence was there other than, let's say, uh, Jesus' 
uh, assertion. But what real evidence would there have been 2,000 years ago that Jesus was the Almighty God? Um, and number two, is that really what the scriptures teach us? Meaning that does the Bible um, clearly reveal to us that God would one day come into this earth taking non-human form? Um, so this is this would be a very long discussion, but you know, in the long and the short of it is that the the Hebrew Bible makes it very clear that the Messiah is not going to be God. Isaiah 11 tells us the Messiah is going to be a human being who fears God. And we see throughout the Bible, um, Hosea chapter 3, I think, um, and many other places, it always differentiates between God and the Messiah. It never speaks about God as being the Messiah. Mm, Uh, And then what's interesting is that the one place in the Bible where God reveals something to us, not really by speaking to us or by um, having something sent to us in writing, but the one place where God um, reveals something through an experience is in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 35, where he says, I showed you so that you should know that I am God and there is none Mm. other. And Mm. what that chapter in Deuteronomy is telling us is that this was the experience that God gave us to clarify exactly who he was, and who we are to relate to. And anything that was not revealed to us at Sinai is not God and would therefore be idolatry. And so what we know is that those people, three million Jews who stood at Mount Sinai, not one of them revealed to their children that when we witness this revelation, we experience God as a trinity or in the form of a human being. Mm-hmm. And throughout the Bible, Deuteronomy 13, several times it says that idolatry is always defined as worshiping a God your fathers did not know, that you did not know, meaning that God was revealed to us and God made it clear who he was. And anything other than that is not how we are understanding God. And what's interesting is that you could make the case that in the Christian Bible as well, um, it's not so clear that Jesus is God. I mean, you have in Matthew 19 where the young man, the young student, wants to know how he can achieve eternal life. You know, oh, good teacher, what must I do to achieve the world to come, the eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, throughout the Christian Bible, I would say that you have it at best a very mixed message about who Jesus was. But the real question is, what is the evidence here? I mean, mm. this is a chart that's claiming to provide evidence, the prophecies fulfilled, you know, what is the evidence that Jesus is God? And all that really is cited here is a muddled statement by John the Baptizer, which is really sort of irrelevant. And then you have, again, an alleged, I'm not, I'm not going to go to bed necessarily banking on the idea that Jesus walked around claiming to be God. Uh, although I think the book of Revelation was more of a, of a, of a dream, of, of a prophecy. It wasn't really something that, that happened, um, you know, among human beings. Mm, mm. But again, all you really have is an alleged statement by someone saying, I'm the first and I'm the last. And I say, okay, <laughs> that to me is not necessarily a proof that someone is God simply because they say they're God. Um, I'm going to read a couple of verses that we've already gone over, but I'm just going to throw them into the mix. Um, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. Uh, Also in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, it says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first 
I am the last. Beside me, there is no God. In uh, 46 verse 5, it says, To whom would you liken me and make, we, make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? And indeed, right before this verse in question that we've, we've, we've just uh, read, uh, Isaiah chapter 48 verse 12, right before it, it says, And I will not give my glory to another. And yet, this connection that is attempted to be made in the list is doing exactly that. Yeah. So I, I think that you know this would not be um, any kind of compelling passage from the Jewish Bible that was fulfilled in the Christian scriptures. Mm, very good. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 17. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way that you should go. Corresponding verse in the New Testament is John chapter 3, verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The uh, fulfill, uh, the messianic prophecy fulfilled according to the list is came as a teacher. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I, I taught a class this morning at a school. I came as a teacher. Um, there you go. Okay. I'm in the book of Isaiah. How do you like that? I get my minutes <laughs> of fame. Um, it's funny. You know, to me, I, I, you'll pardon my French, but... I found this particular citation in John a little bit anal because, right. you know, if I wanted to find something in the in the Christian Bible to illustrate Jesus coming as a teacher, so I would have referenced the Sermon on the Mount or, you know, where he's actually teaching. But mm -hmm. to say the fulfillment is Nicodemus saying, well, I know that you're a teacher, I mean, that's sort of uh, a very lame fulfillment uh, mm. citation. I think that the, the better citations would have been to show passages where Jesus is actually teaching. But the, the real point, again, to make here is that this passage is very, very clearly speaking about God the Almighty. You know, the passage says, mm -hmm. thus says God, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am Hashem, I am the Almighty, your Lord, who disciplines and teaches you for your own benefit. So the verse is spelling out that it's talking about God. And so, uh, you know, this is not what you would call a passage that's talking about the Messiah. It's speaking about God himself, the creator of the Almighty. And, uh, it, again, it, it would be sort of irrelevant and sort of petty or silly, really, um, as a, a messianic prophecy because it's not unique to the Messiah. It wouldn't be unique to Jesus. Uh, anyone that's teaching comes as a teacher. Um, mm. So, I, again, there are so many, um, I, I, in a few minutes I'm going to speak about it, on this list of, you know, the 303, I believe, passages that are just, they're... they're uh, they fall into the, into the too vague basket, I think. In, well, in and respects. sort of irrelevant, because, again, mm. something is only a useful prophecy if it is um, something that it will be unique to the Messiah and uniquely mm. fulfilled by the Messiah. Um, you know, but to, to make a list and to say, well, you know, the Messiah is going to be a human being, okay, that's good to know. And as a human being, he's going to have uh, kidneys, okay, wonderful, Jesus had kidneys. I mean, you could, you could put together a list of a million things that apply to, you know, Jesus, but they apply to millions of other people. Hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, there's so many... Uh, problems with this uh, entry here, that it's number one, 
a passage that's speaking about not the Messiah, but about God himself. And number mm. two, it's not something which is necessarily uh, something that's unique or specific to one human being. And finally, I think you just you hinted at this, that Nicodemus really puts his foot in his mouth because he says, you know, uh, no one would be able to do these these signs that you do unless God is with him. You know, mm. we, we know that from Matthew twenty four twenty four, we're told that false messiahs are able to do miracles. And then in the book of Revelation, if I'm not mistaken, there are several passages which speak about the Antichrist doing incredible True. miracles. Um, so for Nicodemus to blunder like this and to say, well, if you're doing these miracles, you've got to be someone who's you know, on God's side. Mm. It's uh, just just false. But it's, it's not necessarily the case. And uh, now Matthew 24, 24, that's right. It is, it's, that's, it's Jesus who's saying it. <laughs> For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, possible even the elect. So uh, there it is. Now, the next one, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1. Listen, O coastlands, to me and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me out of the womb. From the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of my name. Uh, corresponding verse in the New Testament, according to the list, got a couple here. First Timothy 2, 4-6. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be tested in due time. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to, betrothed to Joseph, uh, before they came together, she was found with child by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, oh, you know what? I'm doing two at once. Well, that's okay, because, because it's both the same verse. This, In fact, there's three that has the same verse. So, I better, I'm just going to read the next one, uh, which is Luke chapter 1, verse 30 to 31. Uh, and these all correspond apparently to Isaiah 49 verse 1. Luke 1, 30 to 31 says, that, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God, and behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and call his name, obviously Yeshua. I've got Jesus here. Now, uh, according to the list, the prophecies fulfilled, messianic prophecies fulfilled, we've got three of them here, Number 159 says Messiah would come for all people. Number 160, called from the womb. Number 161, called by his name before he was born. What is Isaiah chapter 49 verse 1 talking about? That's a good question. And uh, I would say that it, it's, it's not uh, clear as day. I think you have to do a little bit of careful reading of this chapter. Um, but it seems that the vast majority of readers that have studied this chapter, um, because the the writer here is speaking in the first person, the, the, the most obvious candidate would be that Isaiah here is really speaking about himself. And this idea of being called from the womb as a prophet is something that we see um, elsewhere in the Bible. I think in Jeremiah chapter 1, um, what does he say here in verse 5? Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you, and before you left the womb, I sanctified you. I established you as a prophet unto the nations. Mm. So it, it seems, based upon the context here, based upon the fact that Isaiah is writing, the, the writer here is speaking in the first person about his own career, um, and clearly that we'll see that the chapter is speaking about a prophetic career where he's coming to 
um, basically to, to challenge and to correct the Jewish people. So the most obvious candidate here would be that it's speaking this, this passage, and actually the next few passages are about the prophet Isaiah himself. However, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. We're going to see in verse 3, I think, that the, that the prophet is addressed as Israel. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, there are a few possibilities. You could say that, um, you know, in the same way we mentioned in the previous weeks, that passages in the Bible that are speaking about the Messiah also uh, really include as part of who they're speaking about, the nation, because the mm-hmm. Messiah as the king of the nation really represents the people. And so in some ways you find prophecies which speak both about the Messiah and the people as a whole, uh, and the Messiah really personifies, is personifying the right. people. So you could say that's what's happening here in this chapter, that it's speaking about uh, the prophet Isaiah, and it speaks about Isaiah also as the people of Israel, because as the prophet to the people of Israel, he really personifies Israel. He is one of them. Or you could say somehow that it's really speaking about um, both, not just Isaiah personifying Israel, but Isaiah and Israel itself as a nation. Um, mm-hmm. So those are usually the ways in which this chapter is understood. And uh, when it says in prophecy here, number 159, that the Messiah would come for all people, that's a truism. I mean, it's very, very true that the Messiah will have a universal mission and a, a universal career because he's going to be a, a world changer. He's going to be basically God's instrument to change the world. But this passage is not speaking about the Messiah. Um, so that's really the major problem we're going to see in the next several pieces. It's that the, the, the compiler of the list simply asserts and assumes that these are uh, verses that speak about the career of the Messiah. Um, you know, again, we mentioned previously that to say that the Messiah would come for all people is somewhat negated by the behavior of Jesus, who repeatedly says he only came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel when he tells his apostles not to go to the cities of the Samaritans or the Gentiles, where he tells the Canaanite woman that God does not take the bread of the children and cast it to the dogs. Um, I mean, you don't really see him during his lifetime making much of an effort to go out to the nations. It's only what they claim to be allegedly his giving of the Great Commission after he's died, um, where the universal mission then moves forward. But Mm -hmm. it's not so clear that he himself really personified this idea of having a universal mission. Um, And so it would be, again, one of these examples where Jesus fulfills it simply because the New Testament says so. Mm. Um, so the uh, now you mentioned verse three. I'm going to come back to that. Uh, firstly, we're going to do verse two. Isaiah chapter forty nine verse two says, "And he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me like a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me." Corresponding verse uh, in the New Testament, according to the list, is John chapter seven verse forty six. The officers answered. No man ever spoke like this man. Alrighty. And also Revelation chapter 2 verse 12. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos writes, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. And in the same chapter of Revelation verse 16, Repent or else I will come to you quickly and uh, will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. The uh, messianic 
prophecy fulfilled according to the list is that Messiah's words would be as a sharp sword. So again, this chapter is not really clearly about the Messiah. It's really more uh, obviously describing Isaiah and or the people of Israel. But again, even if it were about the Messiah, there's no proof that Jesus fulfilled it. It's just, again, another example of the New Testament says so. And Mm. more importantly, it's the kind of description that could apply to many people. You know, any person that speaks with a certain amount of sharpness and, uh, you know, has pointy words and uh, their words cut to the, to, to the bone, you could say that person, you know, their words would be as a sharp sword. And so it becomes, again, one of the many uh, entries on this long list of prophecies, 303 prophecies, which are really meaningless because they're so uh, ubiquitous, meaning that they apply to so many people. I mean, when I, mm. I look quickly through the list today, I saw that, it, that the list speaks about someone who's going to be kind and merciful and compassionate and sensitive, uh, you know, that applies to half the free world, or at least half of my friends. Uh, mm. This person will be descendant of David. Well, there are millions of those, a teacher, a holy person, someone who trusts God, someone who did good, someone who's obedient to God, someone who's zealous for God, who's a teacher. Uh, you know, th- these are the kind of terms that don't only apply to the Messiah. They apply to countless people. And so, you know, in terms of being uh, pieces of evidence that make it clear that Jesus was the Messiah, aside from the fact that the vast majority are not speaking about the Messiah, I would say even if they were, they, they are sort of useless in terms of helping uh, identify whether anyone is the Messiah. Because, again, if if they are descriptions that apply to thousands and hundreds of thousands of people, it doesn't really uh, make the case for Jesus very compelling. Mm. Uh, Now, the next one is Isaiah chapter 49, verse 5, but I just want to read verse 3, if I may, because it does say, And he said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And uh, as we slowly approach Isaiah 53, I think it's worth throwing into the mix. This is the way this verse is sometimes understood. It could be that God is um, speaking here to Isaiah and saying... Which, are- which seems to be evident in, in, um, in the following verses because he says... I mean, that one there you could apply just strictly to the people of Israel because it says, you are my servant, O Israel. But as we go on, it says, and now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant. This is verse five, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him. Now we're talking about Jacob and Israel externally from, um, it seems like the, the servant here is an individual and you would apply that to the prophet Isaiah, right? So it really, it, it could be going a number of different ways. One way that you could read 49 verse 3 is God says to Isaiah, you are my servant, O Israel, meaning that he's basically, God here is, is really saying that you, Isaiah, are equiv- equivalent, meaning that, that you are representing the people so I can refer to you as the entire people of Israel. Mm-hmm. And then another way of reading it is, and God said to me, you are my servant, meaning God says to Isaiah, you are my servant, and then it switches and says, and Israel in whom I'll be glorified, meaning that it's not you are my servant, O Israel, but you could split the verse in half, and, and God, he said to me, you are my servant. Stop. Hmm. And then the verse goes on to say, and I will be glorified in Israel. 
so you could be splitting the, the passage in that way. And then you're right, when you get to the succeeding passages, which speak about um, you know, the subject here being someone whom will be used to bring Jacob back to, and Israel back to God. Um, so one, the simplest way of reading it is that that's the job of the prophet Isaiah, that the prophet's job is to help the Jewish people, Israel and Jacob, repent and, and undergo a national uh, rev, uh, revival. Mm-hmm. However, um, you also could read it you know, as speaking about Israel um, and Israel, meaning that you have um, this idea, um, and it's interesting, this, this will come up in the future passages, but you have the idea of Israel as describing the entire nation, which would mean all of the Jewish people, all of Israel. And then you have this idea of idealized Israel, uh, righteous Israel. Um, when it says that Israel is God's servant, so does that mean every person who happens to be a descendant no, of Abraham? that's right. Because or, as we progress in Isaiah, it, it continue, continually goes back and forth, doesn't it, and, and makes this uh, comparison between faithful Israel and unfaithful Israel. Right. And so what you could say here is that it will be faithful Israel, righteous Israel, the servant Israel, whose job it will be to help bring back their brethren, the rest of mm. Israel, to God. So, it, again, it's not entirely clear who is going to be the instrument to bring Jacob and Israel back to God. Will it be the prophet Isaiah? Will it be the servant Israel, meaning the righteous among Israel? Or both, meaning that they both can serve that purpose. Um, so, again, these passages are a bit dicey. They're difficult because there's a bit of ambiguity uh, when you read these chapters. So, really, what you've just done is answer the next three or four, I think. Yes, the next four. That's why <laughs> which I should pay the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> which is Isaiah chapter 49. 164, that um, on my list here, would be distressed over his kinsman's unbelief. Yes, and the, uh, the, the corresponding verse given for that one there is uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 41 to 42. And that's Jesus saying, um, now as he, drew, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, uh, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And continues to uh, Luke nineteen forty four, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Uh, and and the uh, messianic prophecy fulfilled according to the list is, yeah, would be distressed over his kin, kinsman's unbelief. What do you make of it? So, first of all, when we read Isaiah chapter 49, verse 4, there's nothing in that verse about unbelief. Um, that's just a distortion or a mistranslation of the verse. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that, uh, as we said, this is a verse not about the Messiah. It's speaking again about the the distress that the prophet is going through because the prophet, in spite of so many years of trying to correct the Jewish people, you know, is falling on, on deaf ears. Um, but it is something that any false Messiah would be upset about, meaning that a false Messiah would be upset by the lack of acceptance. Um, and I think what's, to me, challenging about the, the gospel stories about Jesus is that he seems to demand almost uncritical acceptance by the people of his claims. 
And I think that any uh, legitimate leader would expect a certain amount of scrutiny, meaning mm. that when someone just shows up and claims to be uh, – I don't believe that Jesus claimed to be God. If he did, he certainly should have been scrutinized. Um, mm. But if he's claiming to be the Messiah, if he's claiming to be a great prophet, um, you know, you don't just assume that people are going to accept that claim just because you're making the claim. And so what's puzzling about Jesus' behavior is that he seems to assume that people should just simply accept him at his word, and he doesn't really put up with or tolerate any kind of questioning, which is really what a legitimate leader would expect. A legitimate teacher would expect uh, that people use their powers of discernment uh, and not simply fall for any claim that person just happens to be making. So when it says here that, um, again, it's, it's not talking about the Messiah, but when it says, in the list at least, the Messiah would be distressed over his kinsman's unbelief, uh, that I think would be something a false Messiah would be very distressed about. Um, they'd be upset that people just don't accept their claims, which mm. is what happened in the case of Jesus. And so um, I, I find that to be a, a disturbing element in the gospel stories, in that he seems to have very little patience um, for you know anyone who doesn't simply just fall into line with mm. his his claims. So uh, Isaiah chapter forty nine verse six it says, uh, "Indeed, he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth." Well, in Acts chapter 13, verse 47, it says, For the Lord commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation until the ends of the earth. Uh, it also says in Acts chapter 15, verse 15 to 18, And, the, and with these words of the prophets uh, agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, I will re rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down, I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may see the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. God, uh, known to God from etern eternity, are all his works. Uh, now, for that one, the Messianic prophecy fulfilled is a light to the Gentiles, or a worldwide message. Which is uh, good, meaning that, again, we would agree that the Messiah will be having a worldwide message, although, again, we saw this chapter is not speaking about the Messiah, unless you want to include him in the people of Israel. Um, mm -hmm. So clearly, the, the prophet has a worldwide message. Uh, the people have a worldwide message. Um, if you want to include the Messiah here, he has a worldwide message. Uh, it doesn't, we don't have any proof that uh, Jesus really was focusing on this worldwide message during his lifetime, during his ministry. Um, and what I found very, very strange about this entry was that if you go back to Acts 13, um, it's not really applied there to Jesus. Um, it's really applied there to Paul and his, his ministry. I believe it's when he's with Barnabas. Um, it right. says in the previous verse, then Paul um, and Barnabas grew bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you Jews first, but since you rejected and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we now turn to the Gentiles. 
For so the Lord has commanded us, I've set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. So here, it's interesting that the book of Acts is applying this passage in Isaiah, not to Jesus, really, but to Paul and to Paul's, uh, you know, colleague at least, Barnabas and maybe anyone else who's part of their group. Um, but again, it would be a, a, an example of uh, a passage in Isaiah which there's simply no proof that Jesus fulfilled this. Um, mm. Now, Isaiah chapter 40, 49 verse 6, uh, it has another entry here. And the uh, corresponding verses are Matthew fifteen twenty four. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You mentioned that earlier. Uh, also Luke 2, verse 29 to 32. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples to bring uh, a light, uh, to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel, the Messianic prophecy fulfilled, uh, according to 166 on the list, is salvation for Israel. And, you know, one of the things that we should have been saying all night tonight, uh, which we, I should I guess, say at this point, is that, you know, all of these passages um, are speaking uh, really about the future redemption of Israel and of the world. And so when it speaks here in Isaiah 49 about um, the salvation for Israel, that's true. That we're, there is going to be salvation for Israel. Uh, the problem is it hasn't happened yet. And so one of the real weaknesses with all of these passages we've been reading is that they apply, they're speaking about something which clearly has not yet happened in history. So in terms of uh, proving that Jesus is the Messiah, they sort of, um, you know, it, it, it's... Uh, like cotton candy, you know, the more you chew on it, the more it disappears, there's nothing there. And in, in these prophecies, the more you really put them through the, the, the scrutiny and the ringer of just reality, um, we're talking about passages in Isaiah that simply are speaking about the future. These are things that were not fulfilled in the first century. We're still awaiting them to be fulfilled. So even if uh, the list maker wants to just assert that you know, these are all speaking about the Messiah and they're all speaking about Jesus. The problem is that, that as the reader, we have to basically um, you know, say, well, we still haven't seen these things happen yet. And therefore, the, the most that the Christological reading could extract is that these are things that will happen when Jesus returns uh, at the second coming. But uh, that doesn't really help uh, doesn't help us now. Exactly. I mean, it wouldn't clarify that he was the Messiah 2,000 years ago. No. Uh, the, 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 the weakness of the second coming theory is that it's an admission that Jesus did not accomplish anything when he was first here. And so, therefore, you know, uh, if you wanted to be cute about it, you could say, well, look, you know, if and when he comes back, we'll talk about it. But for now, there's no reason or, or right that mm -hmm. you have to insist that he's the Messiah just by claiming that one day he'll come and clarify everything. I mean, that hasn't happened, and mm. therefore the claims don't really have much substance to them. The next one we have to deal with is Isaiah chapter 50. We're in the 50s now. Okay. Isaiah chapter 50, and there's quite a few entries there. I think we're going to get some, some doo-wop verses here. <laughs> we do. So, <laughs> the first one is uh, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 3. It says, I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth 
their, co- their covering. Uh, the corresponding verse is Luke chapter 23, verse 44 to 45. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. The uh, alleged uh, messianic prophecy fulfilled is heaven is clothed in black at his fates. Well, that's a bit of a stretch. Come on. What? <laughs> you really think so? <laughs> what? I mean, that's, that's a bit. I mean. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's, <laughs> you know, I think that this is going to be uh, something we're going to see repeatedly in the coming chapters that uh, Isaiah here is speaking um, or will be speaking about the ultimate redemption of the Jewish people, which basically you could say are messianic prophecies, but Mm -hmm. they're not speaking about the person of the Messiah. And it's very clear when you read chapter 50 here that it's speaking about uh, the the people of Israel, their fate. Um, You know, it's not speaking here about, uh, you know, the, the crucifixion of the Messiah. Um, you know, I, I would just challenge any Christian to go back in a time capsule and to read this chapter 50 of Isaiah, you know, 10 years before Jesus was born, mm. and to, to say with a straight face that, yes, when I read this chapter, it's very clear to me this is speaking about something that's going to happen at the time when the Messiah is crucified. This is just reading something in that's just not there. And uh, the the whole chapter, really, is speaking about... Uh, the fate of what happens to the Jewish people. Uh, the, the, the theme here is is Israel, and uh, you know why we're being punished for our sins, mm. and the fate that meets us as a result of not repenting and not turning back to God. And so this third verse, which speaks about the heavens being blackened. It's not clear what it's referring to. Some of the commentaries even say that it's sort of reminiscing all the way back to the plague of darkness in Israel. But whatever event it's referring to, it's an event that really is speaking to the history of Israel, to the Jewish people. It's not describing something that's unique to the person of the Messiah. Um, but it's very, very uh, sort of tenuous connection here. 50 verse 4 says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. Now, the corresponding verse according to the list, John chapter 12 verse 49, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, uh, what I should say and what I should speak. The messianic prophecy fulfilled according to the list is would speak with knowledge given to him from God. Well, yeah. <laughs> you seem so unimpressed. <laughs> really? Well, you know, the rest of the list that we're going to do tonight is really one of one uh, theme, meaning that chapter 50 of Isaiah is a continuation of chapter 49, which was speaking about Isaiah himself, the prophet himself. So the one that will speak with knowledge given to him from God is not the Messiah here. It's speaking about the prophet. Um, But even if a person was to insist and they were to stamp their feet on the ground and cry and scream and say, no, it really is speaking about the Messiah, uh, again, it's not something that's unique just to Jesus. 
there are many people that speak with knowledge given to them from God. Mm. Um, when I taught my class this morning, I was teaching uh, things that I read in the Bible. I didn't make them up. It was, in, it was knowledge that was given to me by God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I often actually experience this myself. I'm sure other people do as well, that sometimes when I'm uh, involved in difficult counseling, personal counseling, uh, the, I mean, counseling sometimes can take five, six, seven hours of very intense sessions, and I'm dealing with people that are going through some very difficult times, both in terms of their uh, physical lives, in terms of their spiritual lives, and sometimes I find myself really at a loss for what to say, and then all of a sudden I'll say something, and I say to myself, did I just say that? Where in the world did that come from? And I really do feel that sometimes I'm given uh, things that to God say. God quickens us with, with uh, information and yeah. knowledge to be able to respond. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And I don't yeah. believe it's just me. I'm sure that, that many, many people have that. So to say here that somehow Jesus is able to establish his messianic credentials because he would speak with knowledge given to him from God, it sort of trivializes list because it applies to really so many people. It's mm. not unique to the Messiah. And no. again, you know, for the Trinitarian, uh, it's not very helpful to hear, um, you know, that Jesus needs to be given knowledge from God. If he himself is God, he doesn't lack knowledge. He doesn't need God to reveal knowledge to him. So it's not the kind of passage that is uh, supportive or helpful to a Trinitarian, um, someone who believes that Jesus himself was God in the flesh. Um, but certainly, it's, it's, this is not what you would call a messianic prophecy. Certainly not, but staying with the same verse, um, another corresponding verse, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. Come to me, all you who uh, labor and are heavy laden, for I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Uh, now, the, correspond- the uh, messianic prophecy fulfilled, and this is uh, number 169 on the list, a learned counselor for the weary. Okay. <laughs> so in the, in the previous verses, he's a teacher, and here we're learning that he's a teacher for the weary. Um, I mean, I would say ditto. I mean, again, these are passages yeah. that are not about the Messiah, and, uh, you know, he, he's not the only one that is a counselor and a teacher for the weary. Um, again, it's, it's become sort of... Uh, uh, an irrelevant kind of thing to put on a, mm. a list of proofs. You know, it would be the kind of thing, if I might give an analogy, um, to a trial. And you imagine that, uh, you know, the, the the attorney at the trial is trying to prove that their client is, uh, or that the, the, it's the attorney for the government trying to prove that the person is guilty, and they're going to present all this evidence to prove that this suspect is guilty in the, for this crime, you know, they have to bring evidence that is compelling. They have to bring evidence that ties directly to the person on trial. And if the evidence uh, continues to be trivial or irrelevant or evidence that really does not necessarily um, tie in specifically to this particular person, but they can be um, evidence that applies to you know, half the people in the courtroom, the judge would throw the case out. Mm. And so here, uh, it, it, again, it, it, uh, the only person I think that's getting weary here, or maybe you and I, this, this, and Jesus isn't helping us right at this point. So yeah, I'm, now it, 
it continues on. Uh, I, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read these verses of Isaiah, starting from verse 4. The Lord God has, has uh, given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me in morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint and I know that I will not be ashamed. He who uh, he is near, who justifies me, uh, who will contend with me. Uh, let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will contend with me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? The servant, Michael, walks in darkness and has no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. They are the verses that, uh, that are being referenced here. Now, um, for verses 5 and, and 6, there's a whole bunch of references in Matthew, of course, where Jesus is, uh, where he's whipped, where he's spat on, where he's beaten, uh, all of that prior to the uh, uh, crucifixion. When it comes to verse 8 to 10, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 8 to 10 that I just read, uh, the messianic fulfillment, according to the list, is that the Messiah would place his full trust in God. There is no corresponding New, New Testament verse for those verses there, so I'm not sure what to do about that, but it's, there's just nothing there. You know, when you think about it, Isaiah himself uh, put up with a tremendous amount of abuse, um, so much so that we know that he was actually murdered at the end of his life. Um, but even before his murder, uh, he wasn't a popular guy. Prophets you know, were generally, you know, <laughs> people knew that when prophets showed up, they, they weren't coming to bring uh, compliments and pay them uh, mm. compliments. And, and so often, I mean, if, if not a uh, majority of the time, the, the prophets were reluctant and yet compelled. Uh, they really had little choice but to to give the word that God gave them. They'd rather go and do something else. Yeah, they? I mean, they, they they probably had to put up with a lot of abuse. And, I, and Isaiah here is speaking about uh, his fate. You know, I'm sure he was spat upon. I'm sure people beat him. And mm. of course, if it's speaking about the the people of Israel, that's certainly been our fate um, to have been people who've been physically abused. Um, so again, when you have descriptions that apply to you know so many different people, they're not, they're not helpful in, in pinning down Jesus. Now, one thing we should bear in mind, and I can't prove this, but um, it's been suggested that sometimes what the gospel writers themselves may have done is to try to uh, compose the passion narrative to match uh, these verses in the Bible that they either thought were messianic prophecies or, um, you know, they became sort of a template with which to compose the their story of Jesus. I mean, that it's not clear, uh, you know, exactly how these gospel accounts came to be written. And it's certainly not beyond the realm of possibility. We see there is sort of evidence for this um, in a famous story where uh, in the Gospels, Jesus sends one of his uh, followers to um, to get a donkey for him to ride into Jerusalem, and the, the the narrative is very strange because it has 
you know, the person getting two donkeys and covering both donkeys mm. with a with a blanket, and they have Jesus riding somehow like a acrobat Circus on act. two different. Yeah, it's very yeah. bizarre. Like, why in the world would they have written the, the narrative like this? And what you see is that uh, they misunderstood the passage in Zechariah, which uses what is in the, the Bible a very common. Uh, literary style called parallelism, where they take mm-hmm. the same idea and they repeat it in two different ways. You know, they say, for example, I think Rebecca was a virgin, she knew no man. It's another way of saying that she was a virgin, she knew no man. And so they, they speak about the animal in two different ways in, in Zechariah, but the writer of the gospel didn't understand that nuance of the Hebrew language, and so mm. they read it as two different animals. So you see that when they wrote the story, they wrote the story in order to fulfill what they thought the, the Hebrew Bible had said. Mm-hmm. And so it's possible, again, I, I wouldn't bet my house on this, but it's possible that when you read the gospel accounts, you know, when they have these uh, very same phrases that are repeated, you know, about, um, you know, being spit on and, and have turning and his back being whipped and... Um, being hit on the cheek, what are, all these expressions which seem to be lifted out of Isaiah, it may not be that uh, you know they're sort of reflecting uh, like a journalist would reflect what happened in a story, but they may have been written with the story already in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, again, you know, when we think about methodologically whether or not these passages, do they really amount to proof that someone is the Messiah? Again, even if these passages were describing the career and the life of the Messiah, which they're not. Um, but even if they were, they would be, again, equivalent to saying, well, we know that the Messiah is going to have uh, you know, uh, a spine, and Jesus had a spine. Well, I guess then it's another piece of evidence. <laughs> and so you know, the fact that you know, Jesus was betrayed by a close friend, well, probably everybody on the planet was betrayed by a close friend at some point in time. So it's not the kind of uh, prophecy that really has any kind of uh, bite to it. It doesn't really have any kind of, what we would say in the legal world, probative value. It doesn't have any kind of value to prove something when it really uh, could apply to really so many different people. The next one on the list is the last one for today. It is Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Corresponding verse according to the list in the New Testament is Luke chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. It says, then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit, to Galilee, and news of him went throughout uh, all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Well, there you go. He was glorified by all. Also, Luke chapter 4, verse 43, but he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to uh, the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. The messianic prophecy fulfilled according to the list, number 175 on the uh, New Revised Standard Version, to announce good tidings of peace and the good news. Michael. How do we begin on this one? Uh, you know, the, <laughs> the, traditionally it's understood to be referring to actually the prophet Elijah, 
will be the one to announce, really, or to be the, the, the one who comes before the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, this chapter in, in, in Isaiah here is speaking about the ultimate redemption, the messianic age. It's speaking about the good news. Um, it's speaking, though, about the redemption of Israel that, again, has not yet happened in history. And it's very clear that it's speaking about uh, not what the Christian understands to be the good news. From the Christian perspective, the good news, the gospel, is the gospel of Jesus, that he died for your sins. And uh, there they take, again, as we've discussed many times, the word salvation from this Christological point of view, as we saw in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, I believe, um, that they're going to call him Yeshua because he will save his people from their sins. We also know that Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. This became the messianic, uh, the, basically the messianic vision from the Christian point of view uh, is that the Messiah's major role was to come and die as an atonement for sin. That's not what Isaiah 52 is speaking about. Isaiah 52 speaks about um, the physical redemption of Israel. You'll see, if you just go three verses later, it speaks about the entire world seeing the salvation of God. That's something that's visible. The Hmm. forgiveness of sins is not visible. You can't see the forgiveness of sins. It's very very clear in the Hebrew Bible that salvation is not uh, ethereal. It's not spiritual. It's something that's very physical. It's the rescue of individuals or people from physical danger. And what happens here is that the New Testament basically replaces the traditional biblical messianic uh, uh, purpose, which is really horizontal, meaning that the Messiah, the messianic process, is one in which the world is physically redeemed over the course of history. For the, the Christian Bible, it's transformed really from a horizontal mission to a vertical mission, where uh, you know, it's the individual is redeemed spiritually through their faith mm. in the Messiah. And that idea, that's the good news of, of the Christian Bible, that the individual, not speaking to a nation, that the individual can be redeemed from his or her sins by their faith in Jesus, which is purely spiritual. Uh, it, it's something which has nothing to do, literally zero to do with what's taking place in Isaiah chapter 52. Um, but that's really the, 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 the significant problem that we're going to see throughout the rest of the book of Isaiah, that the Christological reading really distorts what Isaiah is really talking about. Isaiah is speaking mm-hmm. about a very clear historical, uh, really a, a redemption of a people in a very physical way that he speaks about. It's very interesting, by the way, the, word, the verse you read from Luke, which speaks about him being exalted by everyone, certainly doesn't glorified no less glorified by everyone it says <laughs> it doesn't yeah. really fit in with the idea of a despised and rejected messiah meaning that mm. we have you know this this description of the servant being despised and rejected by everyone you know we'll see this when we cover the the 53rd chapter of isaiah but it's not the kind of life that jesus had i mean except for the last few days where he had a courtyard full of people that seem to be hankering for his death. Uh, The Gospels repeatedly speak about how incredibly popular he was. Mm -hmm. And so the the, the passages here in Isaiah are speaking about 
really a redemption of a nation, of a people, and a redemption of them in very physical and very terrestrial terms, that they're going to be redeemed from their exile, they're going to return to their land, they're going to live at peace. And it's not describing uh, a, a vertical uh, redemption where people simply have uh, inner peace in their hearts and forgiveness of, forgiveness of sins. It's a much more, uh, you know, like if you go to the UN in New York and you go outside the Isaiah Wall, the Isaiah Wall speaks about a transformed world where the, there's been universal disarmament, there's no more weapons, there's no more war, there's no more fighting, there's peace. Uh, this is the kind of salvation that you can see, and the salvation of the Christian Bible is invisible. You cannot see it. Mm-hmm. So true. That concludes today. I'm very excited, Michael, I have to say, because we find ourselves next week knocking on the door of the suffering servant passage, uh, or so it's known by, which is Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, all the way through Isaiah chapter 53. I'll be surprised if we get all the way through that because there's so much to address and surely this is one of the highlights of uh, the very list that uh, or the endeavor that we are working through at the moment so there's something for the listeners to look forward to but thank you my friend for coming on and bringing bringing us up to that point uh i'm it, it's going to be a it's, it's going to be a program full of fireworks next week i do think bringing you the good news from toronto canada <laughs> there it is toronto canada uh, jewsforjudaism.ca is the website jewsforjudaism.ca in canada rabbi michael skoback thank you my friend and until next week dear listeners be blessed to be set apart by the truth of our father's word shalom Shalom.